Part two of Dog Ghosts or Apparitions of Dogs by Elliot O'Donnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In concluding the accounts of phantasms of dead dogs, let me quote two cases taken from my work entitled The Haunted Houses of London, published by Mr. Evelyn Nash of Fawside House, King Street, Covent Garden, London, W.C., in 1909 the cases are these the phantom dachshund of w street london w in letter number one my correspondent writes though i am by no means over indulgent to dogs the latter generally greet me very effusively and it would seem that there is something in my individuality that is peculiarly attractive to them this being so i was not greatly surprised one day when in the immediate neighbourhood of x street to find myself persistently followed by a rough-haired dachshund wearing a gaudy yellow collar i tried to scare it away by shaking my sunshade at it but all to no purpose it came resolutely on and i was beginning to despair of getting rid of it when i came to x street where my husband once practised as an oculist there it suddenly altered its tactics and instead of keeping at my heels became my conductor forging slowly ahead with a gliding motion that both puzzled and fascinated me i furthermore observed that notwithstanding the temperature it was not a whit less than ninety degrees in the shade the legs and stomach of the dachshund were covered with mud and dripping with water when it came to number ninety it halted and veered swiftly round eyed me in the strangest manner just as if it had some secret it was bursting to disclose it remained in this attitude until i was within two or three feet of it certainly not more when to my unlimited amazement it absolutely vanished melted away into thin air the iron gate leading to the area was closed so that there was nowhere for it to have hidden and besides i was almost bending over it at the time as i wanted to read the name on its collar there being no one near at hand i could not obtain a second opinion and so came away wondering whether what i had seen was actually a phantasm or a mere hallucination number ninety i might add judging by the brass plate on the door was inhabited by a doctor with an unpronounceable foreign name etc etc i think one cannot help attaching a great deal of importance to what this lady says as her language is strictly moderate throughout and because she does not seem to have been biased by any special views on the subject of animal futurity correspondent number two who by the way is a total stranger to the writer whose letter i have just quoted is candidly devoted to dogs regarding them as in every way on a par with if not actually superior to most human beings still notwithstanding this partiality and consequent profusion of terms of endearment which will doubtless prove somewhat nauseating to many her letter is in my opinion valuable because it not only refers to the phenomenon i have mentioned but to a certain extent furnishes a reason for its occurrence the lady writes as follows i once had a rough-haired dachshund robert whom i loved devotedly 
we were living at the time near h street which always had a peculiar attraction for dear robert who i am now obliged to confess had rather too much liberty more indeed than eventually proved good for him the servants complained that robert ruled the house and i believe what they said was true for my sister and i idolized him giving him the very best of everything and never having the heart to refuse him anything he wanted you will probably scarcely credit it but i have sat up all night nursing him when he had a cold and was otherwise indisposed can you therefore imagine my feelings when my darling was absent one day from dinner such a thing had never happened before for fond of morning constitutionals as poor robert was he was always the soul of punctuality at meal-times neither my sister nor i would hear of eating anything whilst he was missing not a morsel did we touch but slipping on our hats and bidding the servants do the same we scoured the neighbourhood instead the afternoon passed without any sign of robert and when bedtime came he always slept in our room and still no signs of our pet i thought we should both have gone mad of course we advertised selecting the most popular and accordingly the most likely papers and we resorted to other mediums too but alas it was hopeless our darling little robert was irrevocably irredeemably lost for days we were utterly inconsolable doing nothing but mope morning noon and night i cannot tell you how forlorn we felt nor how long we should have remained in that state but for an incident which although revealing the terrible manner of his death gave us every reason to feel sure we were not parted from him for all time but would meet again in the great hereafter it happened in this wise i was walking along w street one evening when to my intense joy and surprise i suddenly saw my darling standing on the pavement a few feet ahead of me regarding me intently from out of his pathetic brown eyes a sensation of extreme coldness now stole over me and i noticed with something akin to a shock that in spite of the hot dry weather robert looked as if he had been in the rain for hours he wore the bright yellow collar i had bought him shortly before his disappearance so that had there been any doubt as to his identity that would have removed it instantly on my calling to him he turned quickly round and with a slight gesture of the head as if bidding me to follow he glided forward my natural impulse was to run after him pick him up and smother him with kisses but try as hard as i could i could not diminish the distance between us although he never appeared to alter his pace i was quite out of breath by the time we reached h street where to my surprise he stopped at number ninety and turning round again gazed at me in the most beseeching manner i can't describe that look suffice it to say that no human eyes could have been more expressive but of what beyond the most profound love and sorrow i cannot i dare not attempt to state i have pondered upon it through the whole of a midsummer night but not even the severest of my mental efforts have enabled me to solve it to my satisfaction could i but do that i feel i should have fathomed the greatest of all mysteries the mystery of life and death
i do not know for how long we stood there looking at one another it may have been minutes or hours or again but a few paltry seconds he took the initiative from me for as i leaped forward to raise him in my arms he glided through the stone steps into the area convinced now that what i beheld was robert's apparition i determined to see the strange affair through to the bitter end and entering the gate i also went down into the area the phantom had come to an abrupt halt by the side of a low wooden box and as i foolishly made an abortive attempt to reach it with my hand it vanished instantaneously i searched the area thoroughly and was assured that there was no outlet save by the steps i had just descended and no hole nor nook nor cranny where anything the size of robert could be completely hidden from sight what did it all mean ah i knew robert had always had a weakness for exploring areas especially in h street and in the box where his wraith disappeared i espied a piece of raw meat now there are ways in which a piece of raw meat may lie without arousing suspicion but the position of this morsel strangely suggested that it had been placed there carefully and for assuredly no other purpose than to entice stray animals resolving to interrogate the owner of the house on the subject i rapped at the front door but was informed by the man-servant obviously a german that his master never saw any one without an appointment i then did a very unwise thing i explained the purpose of my visit to this man who not only denied any knowledge of my dog but declared the meat must have been thrown into the area by some passer-by no one in this house draw away goot meat like dat he explained we eat all we can git here we have nothing for de animals please go away at once or de master will be very angry he stand no nonsense from any one and as i had no alternative for after all who would regard a ghost in the light of evidence i had to obey i found out however from a medical friend that number ninety was tenanted by mr k an anglo-german who was deemed a very clever fellow at a certain london hospital where he was often occupied in vivisection i dare say my friend went on to remark k does a little vivisecting in his private surgery by way of practice and uh, well you see these foreign chaps are not so squeamish in some respects as we are but can't he be stopped i asked it is horrible monstrous that he should be allowed to murder our pets you don't know for certain that he has was the reply you only suppose so from what you say you saw and evidence of that immaterial nature is no evidence at all no you can do nothing except to be extra careful in future and if you have another dog make him steer clear of number ninety h street i was sensible enough to see that he was right and the matter dropped i soon noticed one thing however namely that there were no more pieces of meat temptingly displayed in the box so it is just possible k got wind of my inquiries and thought it policy to desist from his nefarious practices poor robert 
to think of him suffering such a cruel and ignominious death and my being powerless to avenge it surely if vivisection is really necessary and the welfare of mankind cannot be advanced by any less barbarous system why not operate on creatures less deserving of our love and pity than dogs on creatures which whilst being nearer allied to man in physiology and anatomy are at the same time far below the level of brute creation in character and disposition for example why not experiment on wife-beaters and cowardly street ruffians and one might reasonably add on all those pseudo-humanitarians who by their constant petitions to parliament for the abolition of the lash encourage every form of blackguardism and bestiality this concludes the letter of correspondent number two and with the sentiment in the closing paragraphs i must say i heartily agree only i should like to add a few more people to the list one other case of haunting of this type is taken from my same work one all hallowe'en wrote a mrs sebum i was staying with some friends in hampstead and we amused ourselves by working spells to commemorate the night there is one spell in which one walks alone down a path sowing hemp seed and repeating some fantastic words when one is supposed to see those that are destined to come into one's life in the near future eager to put this spell to the test i went into the garden by myself and walking boldly along a path bordered on each side by evergreens sprinkled hemp seed lavishly nothing happened i was about to desist when suddenly i heard a pattering on the gravel and turning round i beheld an ugly little black-and-tan mongrel running towards me wagging its stumpy tail not at all prepossessed with the creature for my own dogs are pure-bred and thinking it must have strayed into the grounds i was about to drive it out and had put down my hand to prevent it jumping on my dress when to my astonishment it had vanished it literally melted away into fine air beneath my very eyes not knowing what to make of the incident but feeling inclined to attribute it to a trick of the imagination i rejoined my friends i did not tell them what had happened although i made a memorandum of it in one of my innumerable notebooks within six months of this incident i was greatly astonished to find a dog corresponding with the one i have just described running about on the lawn of my house in bath how the animal got there was a complete mystery and what a stranger still it seemed to recognize me for it rushed towards me frantically wagging its diminutive tail i had not the heart to turn it away as it seemed quite homeless and so the forlorn little mongrel was permitted to make its home in my house and a very happy home it proved to be for three years all went well and then the end came swiftly and unexpectedly i was in blackheath at the time and the mongrel was in bath it was all hallowe'en but there was no hempseed sowing for no one in the house but myself took the slightest interest in anything appertaining to the superphysical or mystical 
eleven o'clock came and i retired to rest my bed being one of those antique four-posters hung with curtains that shine crimson in the ruddy glow of a cheerful fire all my preparations complete i had pulled back the hangings and was about to slip in between the sheets when to my unbounded amazement what should i see sitting on the counterpane but the black and tan mongrel it was he right enough there could not be another such ugly dog though unlike his usual self he evinced no demonstrations of joy on the contrary he appeared darn right miserable his ears hung his mouth drooped and his bleared little eyes were watery and sad greatly perplexed if not alarmed at so extraordinary a phenomenon i nevertheless felt constrained to put out my hand to comfort him when as i had half anticipated he immediately vanished two days later i received a letter from bath and in a postscript i read that the mongrel we never called it by any other name had been run over and killed by a motor the accident occurring on all hallowe'en about eleven o'clock of course my sister wrote you won't mind very much it was so extremely ugly and well we were only too glad it was none of the other dogs but my sister was wrong for notwithstanding its unsightly appearance and hopeless lack of breed i had grown to like that little black and tan more than any of my rare and choice pets the following account which concludes my notes on hauntings by dog phantasms was sent me many years ago by a gentleman then living in virginia u s a it runs thus the strange disappearance of mr jeremiah dance twenty pounds a year for a twelve-roomed house with large front lawn good stabling and big kitchen gardens that sounds all right i commented but why so cheap well uh, the advertiser mr baldwin by name a short stout gentleman with keen glittering eyes replied well you see it's a bit of a distance from the town and uh, most people prefer being nearer like neighbors and all that sort of thing like neighbors i exclaimed i don't i've just seen about enough of them drains all right oh yes perfect water excellent everything in good condition first-rate loneliness the only thing people object to that is so then i'll oblige you to send someone to show me over the house for i think it is just the sort of place we want you see after being bottled up in a theatre all the afternoon and evening one likes to get away somewhere where it is quiet somewhere where one can lie in bed in the morning inhaling pure air and undisturbed by street traffic i understand mr baldwin responded but er uh, it is rather late now wouldn't you prefer to see over it in the morning everything looks at its worst its very worst in the twilight oh i'll make allowances for the dusk i said you haven't got any ghosts stowed away there have you and he went off into a roar of laughter uh, no the house is not haunted mr baldwin replied not that it would much matter to you if it were for i can see you don't believe in spooks believe in spooks i cried not much 
i would as soon believe in patent hair restorers let me see over it at once very well sir i'll take you there myself mr baldwin replied somewhat reluctantly here tim fetch the keys of the crow's nest and tell higgins to bring the trap around the boy he addressed flew and in a few minutes the sound of wheels and the jingling of harness announced the vehicle was at the door ten minutes later and i and my escort were bowling merrily over the ground in the direction of the crow's nest it was early autumn and the cool evening air fragrant with the mellowness of the luscious virginian pippin was tinged also with the sadness inseparable from the demise of a long and glorious summer evidences of decay and death were everywhere in the brown fallen leaves of the oaks and elms in the bare and denuded ditches here a giant mill-wheel half immersed in a dark still pool stood idle and silent there a hovel but recently inhabited by hop-pickers was now tenantless its glassless windows boarded over and a wealth of dead and rotting vegetable matter in thick profusion over the tiny path and the single stone doorstep is it always as quiet and deserted as this i asked of my companion who continually cracked his whip as if he liked to hear the reverberations of its echoes always was the reply and sometimes more so you ain't used to the country not very i want to try it by way of a change are you well versed in the cry of birds what was that we were fast approaching an exceedingly gloomy bit of the road where there were plantations on each side and the trees united their fantastically forked branches overhead i thought i had never seen so dismal-looking a spot and a sudden lowering of the temperature made me draw my overcoat tighter round me that oh a night-bird of some sort mr baldwin replied an ugly sound wasn't it beastly things i can't imagine why they were created whoa steady there steady the horse reared as he spoke and taking a violent plunge forward set off at a wild gallop a moment later and i uttered an exclamation of astonishment keeping pace with us although apparently not moving at more than an ordinary walking pace was a man of medium height dressed in a panama hat and albert coat he had a thin aquiline nose a rather pronounced chin was clean-shaven and had a startlingly white complexion by the side of him trotted two poodles whose close-cropped skins showed out with remarkable perspicuity who the deuce is he i asked raising my voice to a shout on account of the loud clatter made by the horses hoofs and the wheels who what mr baldwin shouted in return why the man walking along with us man i see no man mr baldwin growled i looked at him curiously it may of course have been due to the terrific speed we were going to the difficulty of holding in the horse but his cheeks were ashy pale and his teeth chattered do you mean to say i cried that you can see no figure walking on my side of the horse and actually keeping pace with it of course i can't mr baldwin snapped no more can you it's an hallucination caused by the moonlight through the branches overhead i've experienced it more than once then why don't you have it now i queried 
don't ask so many questions please mr baldwin shouted don't you see it is as much as i can do to hold the brute in heaven preserve us we were nearly over that time the trap rose high in the air as he spoke and then dropped with such a jolt that i was nearly thrown off and only saved myself by the skin of my teeth a few yards more the spinney ceased and we were away out in the open country plunging and galloping as if our very souls depended on it from all sides queer and fantastic shadows of objects which certainly had no material counterparts in the moon-kissed sward of the rich ripe meadows rose to greet us and filled the lane with their black and white wavering ethereal forms the evening was one of wonders for which i had no name wonders associated with an iciness that was far from agreeable i was not at all sure which i liked best the black stygian tree-lined part of the road we had just left or the wide ocean of brilliant moonbeams and streaked suggestions the figures of the man and the dogs were equally vivid in each though i could no longer doubt they were nothing mortal they were altogether unlike what i had imagined ghosts like the generality of people who are psychic and who have never had an experience of the superphysical my conception of a phantasm was a thing in white that made ridiculous groanings and still more ridiculous clankings of chains but here was something different something that looked save perhaps for the excessive pallor of its cheeks just like an ordinary man i knew it was not a man partly on account of its extraordinary performance no man even if running at full speed could keep up with us like that partly on account of the unusual nature of the atmosphere which was altogether indefinable it brought with it and also because of my own sensations my intense horror which could not i felt certain have been generated by anything physical i cogitated all this in my mind as i gazed at the figure and in order to make sure it was no hallucination i shut first one eye and then the other covering them alternately with the palm of my hand the figure however was still there still pacing along at our side with the regular swing swing of the born walker we kept on in this fashion till we arrived at a rusty iron gate leading by means of a weed-covered path to a low two-storied white house here the figures left us and as it seemed to me vanished at the foot of the garden wall End of part two.